God has promised us in the last days, he's how poured my spirit on all flesh. And so there's been a systematic move of the Lord since about the mid-1700s. I mean, you could go back and look at the Protestant Reformation, but really, since about the mid-1700s, there's been outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so let's open with prayer tonight, and we're going to look at some things I believe will be a blessing to you. But Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for hearing answering the prayers over this time. I thank you, Lord, for speaking through me everything that needs to be said under an anointing that even now the Holy Spirit is moving upon every one of us to give us good soil that will be good fertile soil for the word of God in our hearts, our minds, our lives. Help us to lock in and just give you our focus. We're not going to be distracted. But, Lord, as, as the Word talks about, give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. Lord, help us, even now, that our hearts will be open to the Word of the Lord and living seeds of truth that are sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and produce a hundredfold harvest, every eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And I thank you, Lord, for the winds of your Spirit carrying this out among the nations. And we stand on the promise your Word will not return void, but go forth and accomplish that which you sent forth to do. And we know the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we bind anything right now in Jesus' name that would try to hinder this word. We commit to be bound to go now in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we thank you for your angels clearing all that out, that everything is just going to be a free flow of what you want spoken, and everything will be accomplished, that your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Acts chapter 3, verse 21 is a very interesting scripture. It says, Talking about Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Everybody say the restoration of all things. So that's, okay, so when we look at Book of Acts Christianity, Jesus came, and the Bible says about Jesus how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good, all, healing all oppressed of the devil. So Jesus didn't just preach with power, and, and there was a boldness, there was an authority in what he preached, but there was also healing and deliverance, the power of God through him, because the Holy Spirit was upon him in power. And so Jesus said, as I was sent, I'm sending you. And he also said, even greater works will you do because I go to the Father. Has anybody really ever thought about that scripture? Even greater works will you do? So... When God, when Jesus rather raised from the dead and he told him, he said, go wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power. He didn't want them to begin anything until they were baptized in the Holy Ghost and clothed with power. And so he ascends, they go and wait. The Holy Spirit falls from book of Acts chapter two. They're clothed with power. They begin to preach the word with boldness and God begins what? To heal the sick, deliver people from the demonic and the same thing. God anointed them. They went around doing good. What? Healing all oppressed of the devil as well. And so Jesus started this, but the, the people he entrusted the church to, the leadership, understood as Jesus was sent, so are we sent. And so they went in power. And at some point in time, I don't have time to get into it, but the Bible warns us if you study Revelation the first uh, couple chapters, especially chapters 2 and 3, it, we've gone through the systematic timeline from Ephesus all the way through Laodicea. And so Laodicea is the last day church, but Ephesus was the, the church that we read about in the book of Acts. At some point in time, 
the church world began to lose the power that it started out with. And so heaven must receive Jesus until what? The restoration of all things. And so in these latter days, God has been pouring out his spirit. So everything that is happening with the church, you got to understand, everything that God's ever done in regards to the church has been connected to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you can study this through history. And so as we went into what's known as the dark ages, we lost literally everything, including even the gospel. God had to start with number one, the restoration through Martin Luther and the reformation of what? The gospel, the most basic. But since that time, in the mid-1700s or so, God began to pour out his spirit and there began a process of great restoration. So let me show you, we've gone through this, so we're about halfway, at least halfway, maybe more than that through all of this. But from about mid-1700s, in the days of Wesley and Edwards and all them, through about the mid-1800s, I would say Jeremiah Lampier, the 1857-59 revival, that about 100 years or so, God was pouring out his spirit and we were seeing an ebb and flow. But what was happening? As the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was a strong conviction and deep repentance of sin that brought in a phenomenal harvest of souls. And it was international, okay? So that was like the first great tsunami wave was about 100 years or so. As the Holy Spirit was being poured out, we had the first awakening. We had the second awakening with Cambridge and the outflowing of that on into the days of Finney and then what into the um, revival of 1857-59 where D.L. Moody and others were used. So there was about 100 years there where there was a strong conviction of the Holy Ghost. I mean, powerful. Now you read about Cambridge. I mean, people were just collapsing under the power of God and truly coming to know Jesus. I mean, it was radical. So this great harvest of souls comes, this move of the Holy Spirit to convict. How many knows that we can preach all we want to preach but unless no man can come but the father draw him how are people drawn by the father by the holy spirit it's not an intellectual debate it's not browbeating people it's not joining a church it is the conviction of the holy spirit that opens people up to the gospel that they can receive jesus so this was a great restoration of preaching the gospel with power and many coming to know the Lord. And you know, in the early days, with, uh, in the days of, of Edwards and in the, the days of Cambridge, etc., you know what the revival, the Holy Spirit, I mean, people, the Holy Spirit being poured out, people are falling and shaking and all this under the power of God. You know, the revival fell among the Presbyterians and the Baptists. And that's a historic fact. All right, so we had this first wave of the Holy Spirit. Then God began to do something new in the late 1800s. Began to raise up people like John um, Alexander Dowie and others, but there was a, a Mariah Woodworth Edder. There began to be really powerful moves of the Holy Spirit where people were believing for Book of Acts, Christianity. Now, Parham and others called it the apostolic faith. But what they were saying was, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we believe him to heal the sick. We believe him to, be, to baptize in the Holy Spirit. 
And so there began this move of praying for the sick, and people were seeing great success. You ought to read about Mariah Woodworth Eder. God seems to always delight in choosing people that man would not choose. Mariah Woodworth Eder was preaching the gospel in tents and seeing tremendous, powerful moves of the Holy Spirit in a day when women preachers were not accepted. She had to endure a lot of rejection. And then, of course, Azusa Street. God raised up Seymour, and they saw the most tremendous revival. It affected the whole entire world. And yet, God, who did God use? He used a black man in the days of the Jim Crow laws. So something began in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and right at the turn of 1901, literally January 1901, Charles Parham had a group of people around maybe 35 in Topeka, Kansas, renting a place called Stone's Folly, they were up in the upper room. They were believing God. It was a Bible school. They were studying the book of Acts, and they believed that, you know, God is the same. He's always, God hasn't changed. We're believing God for a baptism in the Holy Ghost and with fire. We're believing him for the gifts to be at work today. We're believing him to heal the sick. And as they began to really pray and cry out to God, they had an upper room experience, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They even saw tongues of fire they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues. The power of God filled was awesome. And they began to go out from there, from that Bible school. They began to formulate doctrine and understand all of this from a, from a scriptural perspective as well. And so they began to go out and preach about it. So up until that point, I'm showing you something. The Holy Spirit was being poured out to convict the sinner, but now God was adding to that he was now adding the restoration of the power of God with that, the baptism in the Holy Ghost, tongues, the gifts, to lay hands on the sick, to drive out demons, to be clothed with power. And so he was restoring back the power of God. And Parham began to teach on this, and William Seymour heard him in Houston and had such faith for it, went to L.A. You guys know we've already covered it, but... There was this move of the Holy Spirit, and the, the central hub began to be at Azusa. And God began to baptize people in the Holy Ghost. It spread all over the world. And so now we have a movement of so many people getting right with God, but being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and the restoration of Book of Acts Christianity, that they had to label them something. Just like always, the institutionalized church, the denominational church didn't like what God was doing and didn't like those people. But eventually they figured out they're not going anywhere and so they labeled them Pentecostals. And it married itself together with the holiness movement and became Pentecostal holiness. And the three basic doctrines that was brought in through this was number one, that the salvation of the lost through faith, they obviously that, but second was this, they believed in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. How many people can say, when I accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit has had to clean me up? Oh man, I'm the first one to raise my hand. And so there is a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and that's what they were teaching in Azusa, that, and they use different scriptures, like Peter said that, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, but also where Paul said, may the God of peace sanctify you throughout your whole spirit's own body. So they believed in the sanctification of, of the believer, and then they believed in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
And people began to come far and wide because they were hearing about, man, these people are speaking in tongues. These people are being hit by the power collapsing and also the miracles. The Sousa Street saw tremendous miracles. I mean, major miracles, creative miracles. Things that were on people like gross and ju just falling off, blind eyes opening. And, they, and it became famous for the miracles. There were people that went there just because of the miracles. And so this began to move things into another level, if you will, of the power of God. So is everybody seeing that? Now, this happened again. This went all the way through, I would say, until about the 80s, 1980s. And so you had about 100 years here with the ebb and flow of this. And then as we moved into the 1990s, we've moved into the third great wave. And God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the clothing of power. And then you know what God began to do? He began to bring back his glory to the church. And in the 90s, we began to have a visitation of the glory, the presence of God in a way that, that has been, uh, you know, since the early church, we probably haven't seen. So the glory of God's been coming back in among us. And I believe that this has been an ebb and a flow, and we're about to see another upsurge of this revival. And in my personal opinion, this will be the last great move, and we're going to see the Lord come. I believe that. So we're in the third wave. So let me talk to you about a couple things. On the other side of Azusa, now 1906 to the, you know, maybe 1915, somewhere in there, there was this Azusa Street revival, but there were powerful ministries that came out of it, like F.F. Bosworth. He was touched at Dowie's ministry, but he came out of there. The Jeffrey brothers were used mightily in England. John G. Lake was came out of the Azusa Street Revival and was used powerfully in um, Africa. But even though all of this was happening, there was this really intense move of the Holy Spirit, but around the 30s, things began to wane a little bit, okay? And so if you remember, God began to raise up a man by the name of Franklin Hall. Do you remember me talking about him? And God used him mightily to bring a lot of teaching in the mid to late 30s is where it really began with him, but to bring a lot of teaching on prayer and fasting. And he wrote a book called Atomic Power Prayer and Fasting that literally went around the world. And around that time, as, as he was being used to promote prayer and fasting, a lot of people were catching this and they were feeling it. And so they were beginning to pray and fast and God began to move upon a man by the name of William Branham, and he began to preach in the 30s. And so he was kind of a spearhead of what was to come. And I believe this prayer movement gave way to another upsurge of this revival that broke out in the 40s and 50s with incredible healings and miracles, signs and wonders. I mean, phenomenal healings. And so... I'm going to talk a little bit about William Branham tonight, but I just want to tell you that during, you ought to look up, see, we can't go back and look on YouTube or something and see back in the days of Azusa Street or, or anything like that, but you can see the revival of the 40s and 50s. And I encourage you to go back and look at some of the videos. It'll stir your faith. And I remember there was one man talking about in the 40s, 50s revival 
one of the people, there was around, there in the height of it, there was around 150 powerful evangelists that were being used with signs and wonders during that time. Isn't that amazing? And during that era, the, it affected the whole world. This was the time that one of these healing evangelists who wasn't real famous or anything, Tommy Hicks, goes to Argentina and ends up, as providence would have it, meeting with President Perón in, you know, what we would call the White House here. And he had a skin condition, and he said, well, do you believe that God could heal me? And Tommy Hicks said, yeah, he can. And reached over, grabs the president of Argentina's hand and prays for him, and his skin becomes brand new right in front of everybody there. The president was so touched, he said, whatever you need, you've got it and opened Argentina to him, and it ended up, they ended up filling a coliseum in that area with just, I mean, tremendous harvest of souls, major healings and miracles. I mean, there was even people that were famous in the government, etc., that were coming and, and maybe like their wife was healed of something, etc. And so this was an era of tremendous healings and miracles. And one young man at the time had went to see Oral Roberts because he had come to town and people were, of course, making fun and mocking like they always do, the things of God. And so he said to himself, I want to see if this is really real. And so he goes to a tent meeting where Old Roberts was. And because he was young and he was kind of small, he, like, worked his way up to the very front where he could see everything. And he just gave one story. But he said, I'll never forget this precious lady had come up, an older lady, a black lady, had big old goiter on her neck. And old Roberts asked her, Mama, do you believe that God can heal you? And she said, do you, you think I'd be here right now if I didn't believe God could heal me, old Roberts? And he, and he just touched her. And, and you know what? She began to swallow, and that gorder shrunk all the way down to a normal neck right in front of that boy. And that boy said from then on out, he made up his mind that that, that was God and God was real and God was the God of miracles. And I think about, you know, I pray so much about this. We, we've seen a lot of things. My wife and I have seen a lot of healings and miracles and deliverances and things. But my heart is that this next generation needs to see it for themselves. See, the God that we know needs to become their God for themselves. See, there was a point in time when I was growing up that I knew about the Lord. I, I knew the God of my parents. But there came a point in time where I had to know God for myself. And I knew about their stories and the stories of others, but there came a point in time where I needed my own stories. And so I was praying for our grandboys, and I, I was praying that God would show them miracles. And I was really asking God to show them because they need to see some things for themselves. It just so happens my wife goes and visits them in Arkansas and takes them to church. And uh, this wonderful man of God who's a friend of Benny Baker, okay, and they went there and as Dean was walking back to his seat, he said, hey, you look like you're walking a little off center. Come here. And he sent him down the chair, pushed his back up against it, and sure enough, one leg was shorter than the other, which, of course, would indicate probably like a spinal uh, curvature. And so this leg is shorter than the other. I mean, everybody around there, so you got one of our grandboys, the other two are watching this. And he prays, and the leg grows out right in front of him. So they need to see it for themselves. I'm going to tell you, you can, argue, you can argue all you want. A college professor can argue and try to wreck their faith and argue all he wants. You'll never take that from them. How are you going to argue with little Dean about that? 
God grew my leg out, sir. Well, God's not real. I don't care if you think he's real or not. He grew my leg out. So this generation needs to experience miracles. And they need to see the power of God. So anyway, as this great revival began to take place, what happened was in the 30s, Franklin Hall began that prayer movement, and then William Branham, God called him. Let me tell you a little bit about William. Well, he was born in a small community. Again, God always seems to pick the people that man wouldn't pick. And William Branham was somebody that grew up very poor. I'm talking dirt poor. His family was not religious. He was uneducated, and he was the guy that no man would have picked, but God picked him. And so he was born in Burksville, Kentucky in April 6, 1909. His parents reported this. Now, his parents are non-Christian people. And they reported that as a baby, this light came over him and shone over him. And they figured to themselves, well, there must be something special about this baby because this light appeared over him. And William Branham talked about it later on as he was being interviewed. He said, you know, he said that light has followed me all my life. I believe it was an angel of the Lord assigned to watch out for him. So anyway, this light appeared over him. Even later on in life, whenever he was preaching and ministering, sometimes this light would appear kind of over him, and they got a picture of it. And of course, you know how people are. Scientifically, they're saying, well, we're going to prove it's not real. And so they took the photo and had it, whatever they do, to come to find out that there was no way it wasn't real. And so this light would appear sometimes with him. But Branham was truly a prophetic individual. He got revelation from God that was pretty amazing. So God called him, and I'll read a little bit about it later, but God called him to preach around 1937. But God began to give him revelation that's not in your notes, if you just want to look this way. God began to show him things. He actually is documented. He actually saw like the rise of Hitler and the Nazi party before it happened. There were several things that he, God showed him and he predicted. And I'll tell you one of the more astounding things that, in my opinion, was, you got to understand, this guy's preaching and prophesying in the 30s and 40s and 50s. He made a prediction, God showed him this, that there would come a time when, and don't get offended by this, but that women begin to take their clothes off and be photographed, etc., it would fill the earth with a thick, gross darkness. He saw the rise of pornography. There's a lot of things I could tell you that he predicted that happened, just like he saw it. And he predicted this. He said that the Lord showed him up. Keep in mind, he died in 65. He's predicting this a long time ago. He said, the Lord showed me right before he comes that there would be vehicles, cars, that would look like an egg. Anybody seen a smart car? And he said that vehicles would pretty much drive themselves. Even my vehicle, which is just a pretty standard vehicle now, has a way that if you start veering out of the lane, it'll pull you back. It has a radar that if, if somebody slows down in front of you, this you know cruise control pull you back. So he saw this a long time ago. But one thing that concerns me, because he was a prophetic person, that you could say like prophetic people, kind of the spirit of Elijah. So what's going to be the enemy of a true prophet of God? The Jezebel spirit. It's interesting that this is so long ago that he saw this and it was 
so beyond his time and beyond his understanding, okay? But he said this. He said, the Lord showed me, and he said, I'm a patriot. I love America. But he said, the Lord showed me that down the road, there would come a time when some kind of like a female type of presence would emerge over America. He said it could be a, a woman in particular, or it could be some kind of like an institution like a Ro the Roman Catholic Church or something. But he said it's some kind of a female power, a presence that would emerge. And when it fully came to power, he said it would mark the decline of America on the world scene. He predicted that. And let me tell you that I believe that I believe he saw the Jezebel spirit and he didn't really understand it. And how many knows that that's one of the strong men over this nation right now? I believe personally, after studying it a lot, that it came to power, it began in the Clinton administration. And it's been trying to consolidate its power ever since. So he made some tremendous predictions, and to my knowledge, and I've heard other people say this, I don't know of one thing that he predicted that did not come to pass exactly as he predicted it. So he truly heard from God. And so when Branham was a child, he had another encounter when he was just a little boy. He went out to the well to get water, and he was carrying a bucket. And while he was out there, this wind started whipping around the, a tree. And it was weird because it wasn't moving any other trees, just one tree. And so that caught his attention. And so he's looking up at this tree wondering why is this one tree moving so much with the wind and no other tree is, you know. And while he's looking at this phenomenon, a voice spoke to him out of the tree and told him, it said, do not smoke or drink or defile your body in any way because when you're older in life, God has a powerful work for you to do. He said it scared him half to, half to death. He dropped the bucket of water and took off running. <laughs> He went home, but when he was around the age of 37, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him, you're called into the ministry and you, you need to start preaching. But Branham, kind of like Moses, Branham felt, you know, I'm poor, I'm uneducated, I'm the, I am not a great speaker. There's no reason for God to call me. There's other people much more qualified, and he kind of wanted to get out of the, the deal. I don't really want to do this. But the angel told him, said, there'll be two signs that God gives you, kind of like Moses. He said, the first would be, you will pray for the sick and they will be healed. And he had said, the second will be that you'll know the secrets of men's hearts. And what that was, was the word of knowledge. And very few people operated in those giftings of like the words of knowledge, words of wisdom, with the accuracy that Branham did. It's astounding. You should go on YouTube and just watch some of the times he was praying for people. People he had never seen in his life, he'd start praying for them, and the Holy Spirit would just show, that, show him stuff. He would start seeing the sickness they had. He did, they didn't tell him why it was there, how it got there, what's going on in their life, and then he would pray for them, and they would be totally healed. It was amazing. So really, this revival of the early, you know, in the 40s and 50s, really Branham was the spearhead. He was the first evangelist that began to operate with healings. And when he first started in the ministry, he was a Baptist preacher. But as he was ministering, he had driven by a tent set up and he just went into the tent 
and he didn't realize it was like a Pentecostal holiness type of meeting or anything. He was just there, and they picked him out of the crowd, and they asked him to come up and preach. How would you like to wander in someplace, and they point you out and say, why don't you come up and preach? Now? Of course, he, he went up and did. I think it was the youngest preacher here, and that was him. So he gets up and he preaches. And so he's just sharing, and, and he begins to pray for people, and the giftings in his life, he began to see things that he shouldn't know, and people started getting healed legitimately. And so the Pentecostal holiness crowd began to recognize that, and they began to accept him as their own. So he left the Baptist and went into the Pentecostal holiness and began to preach. But William Branham didn't go to Bible school. He wasn't real educated. He just had some very powerful giftings. And God connected him with a man by the name of Gordon Lindsay. And those that are familiar with Gordon Lindsay was the founder of CFNI and the Voice of Healing and all of that. Well, Gordon Lindsay was a word guy. I mean, he was sharp in the word. And so they made the perfect couple, if you will. You know, Branham operated in the supernatural, and Gordon Lindsay would bring the powerful word of God, and it was just perfect. But Branham, at some point, because the demand was so high to pray for people continually. I mean, people would show up at his house. He didn't have any peace. Um, he got burned out, and he went into Gordon Lindsay one day after years of ministry and basically... <laughs> threw everything in his lap and said, I quit the ministry, I'm gone, see you later, and left, and he meant it. So Gordon Lindsay had to figure out what to do. And he prayed about it, and God began to move on his heart. There were so many other ministers that were being raised up at this time. So Gordon Lindsay began to unite all of these ministers and connect them together, and he started a magazine called The Voice of Healing. And this magazine was a powerful magazine that would go out and it began to open doors for these healing ministries. Also later, Gordon Lindsay was the one that founded, as I believe I mentioned, Christ for the Nations here in Dallas. And Christ for the Nations was a school that's purpose was to raise up leaders that would preach the gospel with power and bring healing, okay? So later on, William Branham, went back to Gordon Lindsay and said, look, I'm, I feel like I need to fulfill my call. I'm going to get back in the ministry. And Gordon Lindsay said, well, that's great, but we're not going to do what we did before. So Branham just became another minister in the voice of healing. And um, Branham later on, right before he died, began to get a little confused in some of his teaching. And I know one of the things was because he had Pentecostal holiness, began to preach kind of oneness, which I'm not going to get into tonight. But there was just a few things, and it was because he didn't have any Bible school, and he didn't have Gordon Lindsay with him to keep him on track. But in 1965, God allowed William Branham to go home to be with the Lord. And during that time, I want to share a few things. Through the 1940s and into the 50s, on into the 60s, this was a time of tremendous revival, and common household names like Old Roberts was raised up. Jack Coe, A.A. Allen, and Shambach was his worship leader. T.L. Osborne took this revival to the nations and began to see a great harvest of souls and healings and miracles in other nations. The happy hunters traveled this nation. David Nunn here in Dallas. But they, they were literally like 150. They went all over preaching and operating in power, signs and wonders. And... I'll give you some testimonies, some notable miracles that happened. But let me first say this. 
they were pioneers. They, they blazed a trail for us because there was a couple things. Number one, this was a time when the power of God, like the preaching of the gospel and healings and miracles, the power of God had never really truly been on the radio, but especially not on television. And these men, men of God were used to pioneer bringing the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit through the radio and through the television. How many remembers the days like Oral Roberts and others were on television, you see? They were the pioneers, Rex Humbart. They, they were raised up, and God helped blaze a trail so that it could get to a broader audience. Also, the magazine Voice of Healing. I mean, that magazine was unprecedented to have a magazine like that in circulation all over the place that had the testimonies of the healings and miracles and the, the you know, where so-and-so is going to be sitting up their tent, where they're going to be meeting. But all these ministers traveled our nation setting up tents and brush harbors and people came by the tens and hundreds of thousands to these meetings, giving their lives to Jesus and being healed, tremendous miracles. Also, they founded, like I said, Christ for the Nations, but it paved the way for other Bible schools to, uh, you know, like for example, ORU and Rhema Bible School, that the purpose was not only that you know the Word of God, but that you be baptized in the Holy Ghost and that you begin to operate in the power of God yourself to see healings and miracles. Amen? Isn't that awesome? So they help pioneer things. And one of the things they help pioneer, let me tell you, Alexander Dowie was, okay, so anytime God's going to move, there's going to be major critics of revival. I've already gone through this with you guys. You know, every revival, every anointed ministry, the devil's going to stir up problems. Did everybody like Jesus Christ when he ministered? Okay. So there's going to be persecution. And so in the days of Dowie in the late 1800s, early 1900s, one of the things that his enemies accused him of to get him in trouble was practicing medicine without a license. So he had to deal with that criminally, Okay. The same accusation was made against others, if I'm not mistaken, I think against Parham as well. But during this time frame here, the 40s and 50s, once again, the devil raised up people to say, well, they're practicing medicine without a license. So there's a famous picture of Jack Coe being in prison for praying for the sick. He's behind bars. But here's the thing. They ended up having a closed court session where they didn't want the media in there and it, I don't know who all was in there, but Jack Coe and others were in there. And whatever took place in that courtroom, we none of us really truly know, but basically it had to be proven that they were not practicing uh, medicine without a license, that God was legitimately healing people. And so from what I've read and understand, they brought in some sick people for them to pray for. Whatever happened in that courtroom it was judicially decided in the United States of America that they were not practicing medicine without a license. And to this day, we're free to pray for the sick without any problems. So they paved the way. So I don't know what happened in that courtroom, but I suspect healings and miracles took place in front of that judge. So thank God for them blazing a trail for us because I'm going to tell you that those that's gone on before us, they really were persecuted. You know, the early Pentecostals were, were really ridiculed. They had to stay strong. And so were these during this time frame. They were ridiculed, accused of all kinds of things that weren't true. So 
Let me give you some testimonies during this time, but let me just say this. Some of the things to learn from Brenham and Lindsay was the two paired together. We need the word and the spirit. You see, a lot of people out there just have the word of God. And nowadays, I'm not so sure that some of these places even have that anymore. They got motivational speeches or something. But some places just have the Bible, but they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happens? Dead religion. No healings, no gifts, no power. People are kind of dry spiritually. But then you can go into another error over to the right where you could have the move of the Holy Spirit and you can have some powerful things happening, but you don't have the Word of God. So some of them can get kind of flaky and weird and can allow some things in that's not of God. But if you can bring together the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in a powerful way, that will bring maturity in Book of Acts Christianity. Somebody said about um, revival back in the day, they were talking as though they had what they needed from God. And Steve Hill's famous response was, well, Anyway, Steve Hill's famous response to that was, when's the last time your shadow was healing the sick? So look, bottom line is, if we're going to settle for anything less than Book of Acts Christianity, then we're settling for less than what God's will is for us in Christianity. Bottom line, you'll never convince me otherwise. So God is wanting to save, he's wanting to heal, he's wanting to deliver, he's wanting to baptize in the Holy Spirit. And so there's been testimonies through the years that we've seen uh, as people got prayer or whatever of, you know, things like maybe a cancerous tumor disappeared or people had mental illness that disappeared. All kinds of, of problems have gone away. People have been delivered from demon spirits. You've seen a number of people that have been set free from things. So God's wanting to heal and deliver. So let me give you some stories. There was a, a famous story a.a. Uh, allen was preaching over the radio and this really shocked me but this guy was driving down the road how many knows the power of god can go through the radio and this guy was listening to a. a allen pray for people and he was kind of hit by the power of god pulled his car over just felt the holy spirit on him real powerful the guy was missing a toe <laughs> and gradually i don't remember exactly how long it took but gradually he grew back another toe including the toenail. And then, then it wasn't just that. The guy had, through a surgery of some kind, had part of his sternum and a couple ribs remo removed that grew back. He went back to the doctor. They x-rayed him. The doctor couldn't believe it. Um, there was another story, a famous story in A.A. Allen's meetings where there was a preacher that had alligator skin, whatever that is, and he was up on the platform and it was all scaly and all this, and and while A. Allen is just preaching, the guy's skin literally starts falling off on the ground, and underneath that grew normal, beautiful skin right there in the meeting. It was a story that this would have been kind of crazy to see. There was a lady who had a medical condition in a meeting with him that weighed 500 pounds, and she came down to get prayer because she needed God to heal her, like maybe her thyroid or something, right? She needed to be able to lose weight, and it was serious. 
And A. Allen prayed for her in front of everybody there. This happened, documented people, many witnesses. This lady lost 200 pounds instantaneously. And not only that, but because the, she was wearing a dress. <laughs> Undergarments didn't fit anymore. They just collapsed on the ground, okay? So, you know what I'm saying? She lost 200 pounds. And so it was, it was quite the miracle. I remember hearing this story, a couple of stories out of the Argentine revival about somebody that was legally considered a midget that went to the revival there and got prayer and over the course of like a couple of weeks or something grew like a foot so i mean just amazing miracles and of course we know there were several like that at azusa where people had creative miracles and etc so i could give a lot of testimonies but you should look this up because nobody can tell this story like rw shambach okay and that people joke about Shambach, he's gone home to be with the Lord. And I was able to be honored to go see him in uh, Tyler, Texas area before he passed away and have him pray for me. He's a wonderful man of God. He was funny and powerful preacher. But he was A.A. He was Allen's uh, worship leader. And so he saw firsthand a lot of miracles. And you can look this up on YouTube and hear him tell it because he'll tell it better than me. But he said he was there one night. He said one of the most powerful miracles he's ever seen, and he saw a lot of miracles. He said there was a lady that came from Knoxville, Tennessee, that brought her baby boy, baby boy who was born with 26 major diseases and health problems, 26. Some of the problems included the baby, the young boy, a toddler, whatever, was blind, deaf, dumb, the tongue hung out of his mouth, his arms and legs were crippled up and froze like that. He had deformed organs. Only part of his heart worked. And the doctors told the mother, said, it's a miracle the boy's even alive. He should be dead. And so she took him to A. Allen's meeting. And she was really praying and asking God for a miracle. And so she had been there. They had had several meetings a day for several days. And she had gone there in faith and she had spent almost all of her money. And how many knows there's, some, there's a power in giving, isn't there, in the scripture? And so she felt the Lord led her to give her last $20 in the offering that she had. I mean, how was she even going to get back home? How was she going to eat the next day? But she gave it in faith. And that night, A. Allen was up there preaching, and a word of knowledge hits him. And he said, there's a lady here that you've got, a young boy that's got... 14, 18, 26, the Holy Spirit says 26 major diseases and health problems and God's going to heal your boy tonight. Well, that's specific. So she goes running down there with her baby. And A.A. Allen wasn't even phased at the condition of this baby. I mean, most people would be. He starts praying. Now, R.W. Shambach was standing right there. He wasn't like he heard this story. He said, I was an eyewitness. I watched this happen. He said they began to pray for this baby, and he said he saw like whirlpools in the eyes swirling until beautiful brown eyes appeared and the baby could see. The ears popped open. The baby's tongue shot back in his mouth and began to speak and said, Mama. The arms and legs cracked. He heard them snap and crack and make noises as they began to come out. A. Allen set that boy down, and he walked up to his mommy crying, saying, Mommy, like that, dear Lord. Healed the organs, healed the heart. And Shambach said, out of all the miracles he saw, 
he said that was probably the most powerful miracle he ever saw because there were so many things healed and that mama came there and I mean had faith to believe to the point of even giving her last dollar you know and God met her big time and she said I didn't care she said I would I would have walked home to get that miracle with my baby but that night all of a sudden as she was about to leave the meeting somebody came up to her and hugged her and shook her hand and said thanks for coming that was so powerful what God did for your baby and she and when she uh, shook hands she looked at and that person to give her $20 and she was about to leave and all of a sudden other people started coming up and hugging her and shoving money in her purse and her pocket she she got back home and had more money with her than she did when she left to go on the in that something God healed her baby and restored back her finances that baby was locked in a fetal position, was now walking around talking. Isn't that something? So there's a lot of stories like that from this time of revival. And there's a lot of recent stories too. God's still healing and delivering, isn't he? So the only thing I would say is I'm going to close this and we'll pray is this. When Jesus walked the earth and he saw tremendous healings, there was a great warning that he gave to Bethsaida, Capernaum he said woe to you Bethsaida woe to you Capernaum if the miracles that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah they would have believed they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes and he said they will rise up against you on judgment day do y'all remember reading that hello and so Jesus was really saying that the lack of faith the unbelief in people was something that was a serious sin before God. That, un, that miracles could happen before you and you still refuse to believe. That's scary. And Jesus warned about that. And I think about just with religious people in general, to ask the question tonight, if you would pray about this within yourself, but do you have a problem with miracles? Do you have a problem with anointed ministers does it do you get critical of that and do you question that you know there was a time that jesus has said in his ministry something that people have a hard time believing but it does say it in the bible and it says it in the greek you can look it up for yourself there was a place jesus went and it said he could not do many miracles because of their unbelief except just pray for a few sick people and that was it he couldn't do a lot there and people say well he was the son of god he could do whatever he wanted well number one he only did what the father did i jesus said i do what i see my father doing i say what i hear him speaking that's it and the father isn't going to bless a group of people that refuse to believe you understand so jesus was limited by the father because the father wasn't going to bless that as I said earlier in the service, I wonder what it would be like in America, in, in the church world overall, if people be, would really sincerely pray during the week for the services. I mean, really pray and intercede over the meetings. They would pray for God to heal. They would pray for God to deliver. And, and they, would, they would prepare themselves spiritually. And when we come together, if people would come together with faith and they would have an expectation for miracles, I wonder how much more God would be doing in our meetings. Because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still heals. 
And he's not limited at all. Uh, our dear friend, um, spiritual father to my wife, Chalmers, that passed away, and he lived a long life. God did great things through him, and he was a preacher. But there was a time when his heart was really sick. I mean, he had, he had some heart problems. And he was watching the 700 Club, and Pat Robertson was praying for people. And Pat said, I see somebody, God's healing your heart. And he said, he said, Scott, I tell you, it felt like something just shot through the TV screen and punched me right in the chest. But he said, I felt energy surge through me. I jumped up and I went out and started walking. He said, I could walk miles without even getting winded after that. God healed his heart. God's not limited by time or space or whatever. According to your faith. And I wonder if we would all begin to have a faith and an expectation for things. I mean, not, not like a false faith or something, but really coming together and expecting God to show up and do something. And there was a time, this is kind of a neat story, David Hogan, he has seen his ministry, not him personally, but a lot of people. He was a missionary out in the jungles of Mexico and out in those jungles is where the descendants of like the Mayan, Incan, Aztec Indians are out there. And so you have witchcraft that goes back, you know, thousands of years or whatever. These people, many of them have never heard the gospel. So it took somebody kind of radical like David to get out there. He was, if you know anything about him, he's got a very aggressive, radical personality, you know. But God put him out there and there was a point in time they started seeing the dead raised. They started seeing every, he said in, in their ministry, they have seen every organ of the human body either healed or recreated miraculously among these people. Tremendous healings and miracles. He has some of the most amazing stories, but God is, is working with him with signs and wonders because how many knows God wants to save those Indians out there? And that's what they're going to respond to, isn't it? There was, a, there was one, I'll give some stories. I feel, I feel led to do this. But there was a lady that had a huge tumor. I mean, he said he thought she was pregnant, but she was an older lady. And it looked like she had swallowed a basketball, this huge tumor. And he comes through there, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's praying for the sick. And they go in there, and they, they want him to pray for grandma. And he says, well, I'm going to share Jesus with you first, and we're going to pray and accept Jesus. So they did. They all want to accept Jesus. They believe. He prays for Grandma and leaves. And Grandma's still sitting there with this big, giant stomach. You know, that night, her stomach completely flattened, and the next day, she had zero tumor. Isn't that something? Things like that were common. I mean, major miracles all the time. They've seen over 400 people raised from the dead out there. It's the craziest thing. You go out there and minister among them, and it's like, you know, the stories. Like somebody's over here preaching. It's like, oh, yeah, that guy, you know, he had like a finger grow back. Or that guy over there had this giant thing fall off his, you know, side of his face. Or that guy over there was dead for two days, and God raised him from the dead. So God's the same. Let me tell you what happens. There was this story of a missionary one time that went out to minister, and he stumbled upon a group of people that were out there and somebody had gone before him with the gospel left them a bible and told them to read it and believe everything in it so they did they just read the bible like a child and just believed it did you know when that missionary came among them that they were seeing in their services people healed on a regular basis because nobody ever told them 
that you couldn't see that. They just read it and they just believed it. And so at, some, at one point in time, I'm sharing this for a reason. David Hogan said that they had had this leaders uh, conference or whatever. At a certain point in time, there was a group of people coming together in his ministry and they were coming together to pray and, and they were having like a conference of sorts and these were like all the pastors and everybody. And he said, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit just fell in this meeting hard. I mean, he was coming in a pickup truck to the meeting and he said he hit this wall of the presence of God that was unbelievable in his pickup truck. He stops the truck throws it in reverse, backs out of the wall, puts it in drive, drives back in. The power of God is on him so strong. He backs out, does that a couple of times. He's like, what in the world's going on? He gets to the meeting. The Holy Spirit had fell so hard in the meeting. People are just weeping. They're, they're shaking under the power. All this is going on. And he was like, what is going on? The Holy Spirit has fell hard. And his son, young man at the time, had a vision and Jesus was in the place in the vision. He saw Jesus in a vision. And Jesus was turning to leave. And he said, I'm leaving because I don't see a lot of faith here. And David Hogan said his son reached up and said, but Jesus, I, I believe. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit fell so hard. And that's when they started really seeing the healings and the miracles and the signs and wonders like never before. God wants to move, but he needs us to believe. Amen? He needs us to believe. And so I'm going to close out tonight. We're going to pray. If anybody needs prayer tonight uh, for, for healing or anything, we want to anoint you with oil and pray. And the Bible says that the prayer of faith will bring healing to the sick. We see many people healed of many things. And um, I'll share. let me share one more that's important about this. Kenneth Hagin one time said that his face had had like a paralysis and he went to this preacher and this preacher wasn't even one that would normally pray for the sick but he said I want you to anoint me with oil and pray for me to be healed because the Bible says if you'll do that I'll be healed and the guy was like okay well after church he anointed with oil and prayed and, and, and there was no real significant power he wasn't thrown on the ground nothing radical seemed to happen but Kenneth Hagin said this I believe I've received my healing in Jesus' name. And he really believed. He leaves out of there and his friends, he's got these goofy friends that are looking at his face. You know, one of them's like looking at his face, poking it. Saying, I mean, I don't see anything. I don't see that anything's happened, you know. And Kenneth Hagin says, I'm healed. I'm telling you, leave me alone. He goes home. And did you know by the next day he wakes up, his face had straightened back up to normal and he was fine? How many knows it wasn't the friend, his friend's faith that healed him? I don't even think it was really the preacher. The guy just did it because he asked him to. I think it was his faith. I think he believed that he had received a miracle. And so I think a lot of times the miracles happen gradually or as people go. I've had people tell me that actually, that as they went, something started improving. So... Lord, we just thank you for hearing and answering this word tonight and, and the prayers over this service. And we thank you, Lord, for stretching out your hand to heal. 
Lord, we thank you for healing and delivering and moving in power in this generation. This needs to be a generation, Lord, where we see the healings and miracles and signs and wonders, Lord, that the younger generation can experience your presence and your power for themselves and have their own stories. Lord, we ask you to restore the ancient ruins. We look at a time in America where a lot of things are going on right now, but Lord, we ask you to pour out your spirit and Lord, restore back those ancient foundational truths or the ancient ruins that the enemy has tried to destroy and steal. But Lord, we ask you to restore back the preaching of the gospel with power. Restore back, Lord, the healings and miracles again. Restore back the deliverance ministry. Lord, let us see a restoration again in the church of great revival that this younger generation will experience your power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to go ahead and, and pray for people. Let's move chairs. If you want prayer tonight about anything that you need, a breakthrough, we're going to pray for you. We're going to believe for it and receive it.